Hello and welcome to another Arse Blog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. I hope you're well. After what has been a dismal week, yes, another fairly dismal week. Uh, we were hoping for better things when last we spoke, but obviously the uh, North London Derby didn't go according to plan. And now we're stuck in the middle of a, a 10-day gap where we've got no match to kind of put an end to it until we face Bayern Munich next week. So it's all a bit slow and tiresome and wearisome and tedious and dragging and all those things that life will tend to be after you lose a game to a pack of scummy fucking cunts like Spurs. That's just the way it goes. You know, there is that old saying about how when you, when you fall off a horse, the best thing to do is to get back on the horse straight away. But there, there, there is no horse. This is a, a horseless week. And not because the horses have been made into lasagnas and burgers and all that kind of stuff. It's just there is no horse. The horse that should have been Everton on Saturday is, has been delayed, obviously, because of the FA Cup. They're still in it. <laughs> I think they're so great still in the FA Cup. But anyway, they're still in the FA Cup. And of course, we don't have a game because of that. So we have no horse. And even if we did have a horse, I suspect it could all go a little bit Christopher Reeve, if you know what I mean. That's just the way things are are going for Arsenal at this moment in time. Because uh, the game against uh, Tottenham on Sunday, well, you know, it was it was going all right. You know, I thought we were the better team. And then, of course, the, the defending happened or the lack of defending or the, you know, and it was just painful painful to watch because you could see it coming a mile off. I don't think uh, Thomas Vermalen covered himself in glory for the first one by any means, but at the same time, you've got to ask why the guy was able to take all the time in the world he needed to pick out the very simple pass to the bloke who looks like a monkey who put it past uh, Wojciech Chesney. And then the second goal, well, that was, you know, again, we looked a bit shell-shocked. You know, that tends to happen to us that, you know, something bad happens. And before we have time to correct ourselves, something else bad has happened. And I seem to remember, was it a game against Chelsea a couple of years back? When, uh, you know, it was all going all right. And then in around the same time as the goals went in against Tottenham, uh, they scored twice. I think one of them was a Vermaelen own goal. Uh, but the second goal, uh, I have a small theory about this. And I think um, there's a lack of communication, obviously, between Monreal and Vermaelen. Uh, Monreal sees the Lennon run. He goes with him. But I don't think he had the necessary English to tell Vermaelen what to do or what was happening. Uh, and that's natural because he's only been in the in the country a few weeks uh, his English classes won't have gone over much more than the basics. I think he will have had, you know, the, 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 the basic kind of stuff you need on a football pitch left and right and here and forward and, and back, perhaps. But uh, when there's a guy running at top speed and you want to shout to somebody, uh, watch out, he's coming, or this guy's making a diagonal run, or look over your shoulder, those are things that take time to learn uh, in a new language, right? So I think he saw the run didn't have the language skills to tell Vermaelen what was happening. And the Gary Neville analysis was interesting because he says, uh, he pointed out that uh, Monreal tried to block him off. And I think he knew it was a really, really dangerous situation. So figured, right, I'll take a yellow card here. 
I'll take a yellow card and they can have a free kick. But I don't think he was able to tell Thomas Vermalen what was happening. Now, that doesn't excuse Vermalen um, for his part in it. But I think it goes some way to explaining why Vermalen never looked over his shoulder or, or didn't drop a little bit. You know, so um, that's one of the downsides, I guess, when you buy players from abroad, that the communication on the pitch suffers a little bit. And I think Arsenal suffered a little bit, um, well, suffered quite a bit because Lennon scored. Lennon, of all the people. Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, that's my theory. Maybe I'm completely and utterly wrong, but I, I suspect that's what it was. And I know from playing football uh, with guys uh, who, who don't have the same language skills as you, uh, we had a, a guy on our team from Hungary, uh, and he didn't really speak a great deal of English, and he didn't, well, whether he didn't understand or chose not to, Listen, when we told him, you got to track back here, maybe that was it. And I know as well from uh, when I was living in Spain, playing football over there, when you don't have uh, the best language skills at first, it can be a little bit tricky to understand what's going on and what people are shouting at you on a football pitch. Uh, and in a split second, trying to think of the words uh, to explain to Thomas Vermalen what was going on, I just don't think he was capable of doing it. So there. So that's my thinking. But anyway, we got a goal back early in the second half. And after that, I was sort of expecting more, you know, more pressure from Arsenal, more shots on goal, more chances. Instead, they had more of the chances. And some of the decisions were a little bit odd as well. Why is Lucas Podolski, uh, one of our top goal scorers, sat on the bench until the 77th, 78th minute? You know, he showed when he came on in around the box, he's got that bit of movement and his first touch was heavy when he had that chance. But ultimately, a fairly disappointing display defensively, obviously, but offensively as well. And we've got players who have gone uh, for a number of games now without goals and at the wrong time of the season. And well, all in all, not a particularly good day. What I don't necessarily subscribe to, and when I say necessarily, I mean at all, is this bigging up of Tottenham as if they were, you know, brilliant. They weren't particularly brilliant. We made them look a bit better than they are. And they do have a player in Gareth Bale who's in particularly good form. But, you know, the whole media narrative about how everything has changed in North London now, the balance of power has shifted and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's like they never learn. You know, we've been here before. And while I don't have a huge amount of confidence that these last 10 games can um, turn things around for us, they could uh, just as easily as they could fuck things up. And even if they did finish above us one season, is you know, that's like, what, the first time in 47 or 80-something years? I don't know. It just It's just all a bit histrionic or something to me. It's like when a player has four or five good games and they're touting him for England and he's the next this or, you know, David Bentley. The David Bentley example, perfect again. Had some good games, is the next David Beckham. Now, where where is he playing now? Was on loan at some Russian club and, oh, he's gone back to Blackburn. That's right. The next David Beckham has gone back to Blackburn in the championship on loan because Tottenham don't want him and nobody else wants him. So let's see how it all plays out. Plenty of football still to uh, to get through this season, uh, and you just never know what might happen. Anyway, with me to discuss uh, Spurs and a bit more from this week, uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show a former gunner and the presenter of The Breakdown on Arsenal.com. It's Adrian Clark. Hi there. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> let's talk about Spurs. Um, as somebody who has analysed Arsenal this season, pretty much every game, from a tactical point of view, were you surprised at the way that Arsenal defended against Spurs, the the, the sort of high defensive line that they took, uh, which was exposed in the end by, by Tottenham's pace? 
I was a little bit surprised, but but Arsenal played with with a pretty high line all season. They like to to press the opposition, and when you when you press the opposition, then then everybody squeezes up from behind, and uh, and that that creates that that higher line. I did wonder if Arsene Wenger might 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 tinker with it ahead of that game just because of the threat of Bale in behind. Um, I'm sure they did work on things on the training ground. I actually felt that tactically, in those first 35 minutes, it was excellent, really, because because what they were doing, they were squeezing that space between the the midfield and the attack. And if you remember, Adebayor didn't get a sniff. Gareth Bale hardly had a touch. It was was all going to plan. They were were crowding that all-important area. The problem was <laughs> that, that there were some really poor individual decisions yeah. for the two goals. And I think it was it, it, that was the reason more than more than tactics from the manager behind that defeat. I just felt that, that, that at, at that crucial moment for the first goal, Thomas from Ireland made the wrong choice. He went towards the ball when he should have been aware of, uh, of Bale's run and, uh, and, tra- and tracked him. Monreal, for his part, should have, should have been a bit closer to him. For the second goal, for Marlon, should have looked around. He, he, you know, he was completely unaware. He was, he was on his heels, flat-footed, in no position to turn. But at the same time, Monreal, he made a baffling decision to, 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 to try and play offside. Rather, you know, when he could see that his captain was two or three yards behind him. So I think his individual mistakes were, 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 were the reason behind that defeat rather than, uh, than, a, than a general failing in tactics. Mm. How does a manager then deal with that? Because, you know, uh, like you say, you can set up your team, you can give them all the instructions, and then, you know, you have this two-minute spell where, where you know, it, it essentially costs you the game. You know, you, a manager surely can't legislate for that you know, when it comes to preparing his team, but but does that speak to perhaps uh, the quality of the players, for example, that that these are guys who will switch off from time to time and become exposed? Well, yeah, I, I don't think that the manager can 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 be blamed for for individual mistakes. I, you know, I know that some people try to claim that they don't do do much defensive work on the training ground. I'm not privy to that, but I'm I'm convinced that they do. I'm convinced that they work a lot. On defending at the training ground, so 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 I don't think that's a major major issue. The, in terms of the, the quality of the defenders, Arsenal before that game had the best defensive record away from home in the Premier League. So it, yes, I think we can all look at some of the recent performances, particularly in the biggest games this season, and question the quality of some of the decisions made by defenders. But in general, they haven't conceded that many goals away from home. Um, so so it's not all doom and gloom um, but but yeah I don't know I, I, I do believe that Arsene Wenger will probably look to strengthen the defence this summer I think at the very very highest level um, they've just been caught out a little bit this year and um, uh, you know I do expect him to respond in some kind of way uh, during the close season are, are the problems at the back being exacerbated by some problems at the other end of the pitch? Because Arsene Wenger spoke about after the game how, how the team was not efficient in uh, in the two areas of the pitch that really mattered front and back. And we have Theo Walcott now six games without a goal. Olivier Giroud six games without a goal. Lucas Podolski, you know, is 
what's going on with him is sort of raising eyebrows because he's not really been involved a great deal over the last three or four weeks. And, you know, given the fact there, if you were to look at the Arsenal squad and pick the the front three, you know, they're the three guys, you know, so yeah. is that, that's not helping either, is it? No, I'm a li- I was a little bit surprised uh, that we haven't seen more of Lucas Podolski lately because he, he's always worth a goal, isn't he? And in terms of Sarah Walcott, um, I think he's adjusting to that position. He's very keen to come inside and join in as a, as a secondary centre forward, and he, do, he just it just hasn't come, come off for him mm. in recent games. I think every player goes through that kind of patch. It's similar for Olivier Giroud. If you if you rewind the clock, you know, a couple of months ago, he was scoring goals, looking a real threat, and it's he's just a little bit off colour, out of sorts at the moment. Um, that's why I think I, I was a little bit surprised a new centre-forward didn't come in in January because when that kind of thing happens, as it is inevitable for all players, they can't be at the top of the game all the time. And I just felt that one additional striker for the run-in would, would have helped the side. But that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Obviously, no one was available. Um, so, so we've been left with Giroud and Walcott. And yeah, it's just unfortunate that both of them at the same time have just had a bit of a dip. Fortunately, Kazool has come into come into form. Jack Wilshere continues to do well. So, so there's still goals in the team, but yeah, you, you do want your your main front men to be firing, and at the moment, that they're not. Can I ask you about Theo Walcott, just while you mentioned him there? One of the things that struck me, particularly in the first half against uh, Spurs, was that he. Uh, he tended to drift in field quite a lot. Would that be a decision that he's making or would that be something that's been instructed to him before the game? Because it, it, it seems to me that it's it's happened quite a lot this season that yeah. uh, particularly in the first half, he's tended to drift in field and he kind of gets marked out of the game. So you have Sanyo or Jenkinson at right back with no option. Uh, he doesn't have a forward pass to make. So, you know, we go backwards and we go across the pitch again. And, you know, the momentum doesn't tend to happen. Is that something Theo has to take responsibility for or the manager? I think it's, it's down to Theo, really, primarily. I don't think the manager will complain at Phil Walcott coming inside because variety is what it's all about when you've got one main centre forward. And really, the guy in behind him, whether it's Cazorla or Walcott, isn't isn't a striker it's, a, it's an attacking midfielder so you've got one striker you do need support and it's and it's good for the wide men the likes of Walcott and Podolsky to come inside the full backs between there and the centre backs because that's where you're going to score your goals from and, and we've seen Walcott do it you know, so many times in the past. So I don't think Arsene Wenger will be too upset. It's just getting the balance right and picking and choosing the right moments to do it. And I think at the moment in recent games, Theo's been doing it a little bit too often and it's become predictable and it's clogged up those central areas and it has, as you say, left the, the wide men a little bit isolated. They've had no option but to kind of swing the ball into the box and and unfortunately, that you know, there hasn't been somebody in there. So, so no, I think it's all about mixing your game up. Theo needs to, to hug the touchline sometimes, play as an orthodox winger, and then at other times he needs to make those runs inside and, and hurt the opposition. I just think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a matter of balance. Mm. All right. Well, look, it's not been good, you know, over the last couple of weeks with the defeats to to Blackburn and Bayern and obviously the, uh, the, the North London derby. But there are still... 10 games left this season there's still 30 points to play for that's a lot of points and a lot can happen as we know uh, and we've seen in seasons past where we've been in worse positions than this I would wager uh, and come through it do you feel that you know the squad has been unlucky in a way or that they're capable 
of putting a run together because last season we had a couple of runs where we won seven or eight games in a row and that made a huge difference it put the pressure on other teams this season we haven't been able to go more than five games without defeat mm. let alone mm. winning seven or eight games in a row yeah. Yeah. you know while the possibility is there do you feel that the squad can can achieve what 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 it should uh, be able to achieve or, or compared to last season yeah I think they're capable of, of stringing together an unbeaten run of, of 10 games I look at the, the final 10 fixtures and there's only one there that stands out as a game where the Arsenal won't be favourites to win and, that, and that's possibly the Manchester United game and that is at the Emirates so I, I think of all the other games you know Arsenal have got a very very good chance of getting positive results the consistency hasn't been there, has it? It's very, very difficult to explain it. I think when they've cl- when the team have clicked, when they've played that fast attacking football, when they've pressed the opposition high up the pitch, they've destroyed teams this season. We've seen, haven't we, with some really high scoring games? Mm-hmm. They've shown what they're what they're what they're all about and what they're capable of. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to reproduce that level. Often enough, and uh, and that's and that that'll be the thing that's that, that's left Arsene Wenger and the coaching staff scratching their heads, because on the front foot, when Arsenal are dominating the opposition, you know they can be virtually unstoppable at Premier League level. So so they're more than capable. It's when they've just been faced by you know teams that have parked the bus and they haven't moved the ball quickly enough. That's when frustrations have set in, and they've also left themselves vulnerable to counter attacks. And I think that's because really the, the, there isn't what you'd call a natural defensive midfielder mm. in the squad Mikel Arteta has done a fantastic job I think for the majority of the season um, he's grown into that role but he, he's not what you'd call a specialist and with the back four being a little bit uncertain themselves I, th- I, just, I just feel that Arsenal have set themselves up a little bit to be vulnerable on, on, on the counter attack against these teams Blackburn being the case in point but, but no I think if, if they can get, the, get those fast starts going if they can really get into the faces of opposition as they did at Tottenham really in the first half an hour or so then I think you know we can we can see a really strong end to the season but it's a, it's a confidence issue now and they've got to be mentally strong to, to kind of get themselves ready and prepared to, to do that mm. you, you talk about getting themselves ready I mean what will the players be thinking in this you know situation they must know you know that they're capable of better than mm. they they've shown this season so i mean yeah. what will the dressing room be like will there be you know are you looking for one player or everybody pulling together or somebody to sort of uh, get churchillian and rouse them before <laughs> games you know how does it work because obviously when you know we've seen it and not just with Arsenal but plenty of teams that when they sort of hit a little bit of a rut or you know a a period of low confidence it is really really difficult to drag yourself out of that so I mean what from a playing point of view given the fact they've 10 days over you know 10 days between games you know what will the dressing room the training ground be like I think it'll be very focused I I really do I'll be surprised if there are you know if there are too many laughs and jokes going on there'll be they know they need to get down to business and I sense that the coaching staff will be very serious too and you know obviously a 10 day break there'll be a few days off there you can't you can't train at a really intense level for for that length of time uh, and expect to get a reaction it'll be all about peaking for the next match I mean that's a really difficult one isn't it at Bayern Munich I don't think you know that's almost a freebie it's, it's all about the Swansea game and what happens after that 
really, in my opinion. But no, I think I think they'll be very focused, determined. Hopefully, they'll be working on all the all the things that that have, have gone wrong this season. They'll be discussing the mistakes that that were made, and they'll be just trying to iron them out. But I do, what I do know from, from Arsene Wenger, Steve Bold, and, and from that that dressing room is that. I don't think confidence is going to be a major issue. I think they're they're always trying to instill belief in the players, make them believe in themselves, and I, and I think that most of the players do, because the way Arsene Wenger likes his teams to play football, you have to be confident, you have to win the ball, you have to move it quickly. Um, so I don't see uh, confidence being a major issue. It's all about eradicating the mistakes that have been made, and, and hopefully that's what they'll be doing over the next ten days. All right. Finally, very quickly, what about Byron? You you talk about it as a as a freebie. Um, you know, pressure's off in a way, isn't it? Because nobody expects Arsenal to to qualify. But you know, it's it's not inconceivable that they could go get a result. I mean, could could a good result give them you know the the bit of a kick in the arse to get them going that they need? Or you know, conversely, could a could a really bad result damage things even further? How how does the manager approach this game? Well, he approaches it by, by just going for it, and uh, the, 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 there is nothing to lose, really. I mean, Bayern Munich was so good, I thought, at the Emirates, just an absolute class act. Probably the best team in the world, I think, at the moment. Uh, just, a, just a notch above Barcelona and possibly Real Madrid. So I don't think there was any shame in that defeat, particularly, and I, and I think it'll be a huge bonus if Arsenal go there and uh, and either, you know get a get a positive positive result or or a good performance. Yeah, the one worry is that Arsenal go there and get thrashed, and that will damage morale ahead of the Swansea game. But I, I don't see that. One. I don't see that happening. I think I think they'll be focused. They've got they've had this little breather as we've discussed, and I'm sure they'll uh, they'll just go out there, give it their best. No one expects them to come back and claim a place in the last day, and then. Then the serious business, I think, starts. It's all about getting enough points to get into the top four. And, I, and as I said at the outset, I, I do feel that, that Chelsea and Spurs will probably drop more points than Arsenal in the running. So it's, it's really down to the Gunners to, to do their part now and get as many uh, wins under their belt as they can. All right, well, let's keep fingers crossed they can do that. And uh, Byron uh, provides them a bit of a boost. All right, Adrian, thank you very much indeed. We'll chat to you again soon. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you indeed to Adrian. You can find him on Twitter. Of course, he is at Adrian J. Clark. And that's at Adrian J. Clark with an E at the end. And if you want to watch his analysis of every Arsenal game this season, check out The Breakdown, which you can find on Arsenal Player, of course, on Arsenal.com. It is a quiet enough week. We'll head towards the end of this particular Arsecast with a look ahead very briefly to the Bayern game next week. Right now, though, a little bit of, well, this... It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner, on Deadly. Hey, you just met me. Uh, oh, and this is crazy. Oh, I'm Mick Benner. Call me maybe. <laughs> Hello there, I'm Mick Benner. And I'm the greatest. Uh, I'm the greatest. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the greatest driver <laughs> that I ever lived. That's true, you know. I'm better than Michael Schumacher. I'm better than Nigel, Nigel Mansell. And. <laughs> I'm, I'm better than. Uh, what's in uh, that fella? Uh, what's in that? I'm bad. I'm better than Ayrton Senna! Uh oh.
uh, we could be wrong now. <laughs> well, I don't think my leg should be over there. It's the Nick Benner Show with me, Nick Benner. I'm deadly. What a guy, that Mick Bentner. Yeah, as he was appearing in court this week in Denmark, uh, being banned from driving for three years and suspended from the Danish national team for six months for driving drunk up uh, a one-way street the wrong way. Uh, The news came from Turin that via the official Juventus shop, they hadn't sold one shirt with his name on it, apparently. Well, perhaps a little bit of mischief-making, but it wouldn't be a surprise all the same, would it? You might remember a couple of seasons ago, he changed his shirt number and uh, very generously, it has to be said, offered to refund any fans who had the old shirt number on their Bentner Arsenal shirt. So, you know, given what's gone on, that probably cost him lots. Anyway, his is a career which is in danger of being pissed down the uh, toilet, really. He's got to sort himself out. Uh, A player with some talent, perhaps not enough talent for us, but certainly more uh, than he's achieving at this moment in time. Obviously, he's injured, but even up to then, you know, you got the sense that he was quite happy to marry princesses and just be a little bit famous. Nobody who wears a turtleneck like he wore on the day he signed for Juventus has got his uh, head in the right place. Certainly not a footballer, anyway. Uh, And he's got a contract with us until 2014. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, between now and the end of the season, he can come back and play a game or two for Juventus. And then maybe, maybe we'll be able to move him on this summer. Otherwise, it's very difficult. Who would touch him with a 10-foot barge pole these days? I don't know. Anyway, by the time we talk again on next week's Arscast, we'll have played Bayern Munich. Um, It's a game, I guess, that we have little to lose in, apart from, you know, even more confidence and face and reputation. But at the same time, we go into the game um, with nothing much to lose, as we spoke about earlier with Adrian. Uh, The manager will send his team out to try and win it. Uh, I have to say, I have to be honest, it's not a game that, you know, I really care about. Not that, you know, it's not a big game or anything like that, but uh, the likelihood of us getting uh, a result that will see us through is, well, it's very, very slim indeed. And while it could provide a good confidence boost, it could also give us a right kick in the balls after 10 days of hard work and getting sorted and everything else. You know, if we get turned over, it could be very damaging too. I don't necessarily see that happening, but, you know, you just don't know with this Arsenal side. It's it's hard not to fear the worst um, at these times. And then, of course, we go into the final league games of the season. 10 games, 30 points. That's a lot of football still to play. Uh, so whatever happens, we've got to make sure that we're up for it and fighting uh, right until the final day of the season. So uh, given that there's nothing else going on this week, I'll leave it there. Uh, have yourselves a very good and Arsenal-free weekend. At least, you know, there'll be no stress and tearing your hair out about football. Uh, so until next week's show, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. There now follows an apology from arsblog.com.
On this podcast last week, we made reference in an unnamed sketch to Tottenham Hotspur midfielder Gareth Bale. We suggested that he was an animal who lived in the jungle, specifically a kind of monkey who would cheat and eat its own young. Following serious correspondence with legal representatives, we at arsblog.com would like to set the record straight. We fully accept that Mr. Bale is not a monkey, nor does he, or would he ever, eat his own young or the young of any other human being. We apologize unreservedly for referring to him as a monkey. Monkeys have tails. That makes him an ape, a big cheating ape who can't gorge on infants because he probably prefers Nando's instead. The big fucking knacker. <laughs>